Uh, I'm here to declare today that I am the queen of awkward. <laughs> Do we have any other queens here? <laughs> In the right place? Thank you. Uh, actually, I have learned that I am who I am, so I need to embrace my awkwardness. So I'm okay with myself most of the time until I have what, what we call one of those cringe moments. Have you ever had that? Where you think back to a conversation that you had maybe decades before and you go, Ooh, I can't believe I said that. So I may be having a lot of those cringe moments next week. I, I don't know. but um, I just want to share a little bit about my life. Um, I grew up, my parents were pastors, and they became missionaries. And so the first 10 years of my life, I lived in the Midwest. And uh, my mother grew up in, in western Kansas during the Depression, during the Dust Bowl days. And her dad was a farmer, and she remembers the crops being destroyed by locusts. She remembers the, the dust coming in so that you couldn't even see your way to the barn. So she had a very rough life. Her parents were not Christians, but they were very good people. Uh, so my mom, you, do you ever notice that you have your mom in your head all your life? <laughs> so I'm going to blame my awkwardness on my mom. But someone took her to Sunday school when she was seven years old. And then when she was a teenager, she really felt like God wanted her to become a pastor. Now, remember, this is early 50s. And so she went to Bible college. Her family did not support her in this. She went to Bible college for four years and became a Nazarene pastor. Now, the, the Nazarenes back in the 50s, at least, were what we would call holiness people. And uh, they had very strict dress codes, uh, no makeup, no slacks. Of course, the slacks weren't all that popular then. Uh, my mom fit right in because she lived a very structured life. So she went to a pastor's meeting and she met my dad, who was a pastor. And they got married and voila. <laughs> so... <laughs> But there were a lot of words that were not allowed in our home. And, and I'm going to talk about two of them. One is the B word, which was breast or boob. <laughs> uh, to be quite honest, I don't even remember what we called them. <laughs> and then the other word was the P word. Which was pregnant. Uh, you thought I was going to say something else. Yeah. My mom, when someone was going to have a baby, that's what it was. Someone's going to have a baby. Or they are with child. We, we could get King James there. They're with child. So those, those two words were not really spoken that I can recall. And uh, my mom told the story that we were in Indiana, I was four years old, and I kept telling her, I want extra elbows. And she's going, what is the extra elbows? 
So we're driving down this country road, and there's a sow with her baby piglets, and I got excited, and I said, look at the mommy pig with all the extra elbows. <laughs> now, you would have thought that that would have been an opportunity for her to correct and teach me anatomy, but she didn't. Because remember, we didn't say those words. So to my knowledge, for years, they were known as extra elbows in my, in my house. <laughs> um, and because we didn't talk about them, I had a fascination with them. <laughs> um, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, I did. And, you know, in, in uh, fifth grade, uh, and now let me just say I was a very, very late bloomer. Very late. 15, actually, but when I was in fifth grade, I noticed that Twyla Trimper in my fifth grade class really filled out a sweater well. And um, all the boys, all of a sudden, were interested in Twyla Trimper. So uh, I convinced my mother that I needed a training bra. <laughs> and um, I stuffed Kleenex <laughs> in my table that did not draw attention. So I, I graduated to socks. <laughs> Didn't work. So my next tool of choice was pencils. <laughs> Annette, that I knew how it happened. 
and she scoffed at me. I don't understand why she didn't like my theory. <laughs> um, but nothing was ever explained to me. So fast forward a few years, we moved to Nova Scotia, Canada, and that's where my, my parents became missionaries there. Now Canada isn't like the jungles of Africa or anything like that. It's a very civilized country. But the particular people that our church ministered to were the very low educated, very poor, very rough people. Nova Scotia is a fishing province of Canada. And so everyone in our town was pretty much involved in the fishing industry. So there were a lot of fisher, fisher people there. And our church ministered to two geographical areas called the mountain and the cove. And the people in the mountain and the cove were probably the worst morally in the town and economically. And so my dad would, every morning before church and after church, he'd make two trips with his vehicle to go pick up people to bring them to church because they didn't have cars. And one of the things that that was kind of common on the mountain and in the cove was there were a lot of people that were not married but had hassles of children. And some of the families, the children were the products of incest. And uh, there was one particular family that uh, their children came to our church. They always were very dirty you know, on the outside. Uh, they were all products of incest. And so there was, um, there was some mild mental retardation in some of the children. Um, and there was a boy my age named Ronnie Ring. And I'm going to come back to him in a minute. But that's just kind of the background of where we lived and how we ministered there. So when I was about 13 years old, I was finally in the youth group. I was so excited. But there was a girl in our group that was about 14, and she was pregnant. Oh, sorry. She was with child. <laughs> and so my dad, I think he drew the short straw, but he decided it was time that he talked to me about the facts of life. So he asked, he said, Laura, let's go for an ice cream. And I'm going, something's up. <laughs> so we went for an ice cream, and we're driving down the road, and he said, uh, you know, uh, Marilyn's with child. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, well, uh, your mom and I just want you to know that we hope that never happens to you, but if it does, we'll be there for you. We'll love you and support you and walk you through this. And I'm sitting there with my ice cream on. Okay. <laughs> he said, any questions? I said, um, how does one become with child? And I could just see his face get really red. And he says, um, maybe you should talk to your mother about it. I said, well, dad, mom doesn't talk about that. And he said, yeah, well, um, if you're with a boy and he touches you inappropriately, that's how it could happen. Oh, no. So, oh, 
that night we had family devotions, and I'm kind of laying across the chair, and I'm very, very bothered. Um, I felt a baby move. <laughs> I started crying, and my parents said, Laura, what's wrong? I said, I think I'm with child. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, um, what do you mean? I said, well, a couple weeks ago, Ronnie <laughs> Ray, and all of a sudden they're going, <laughs> touched me inappropriately. <laughs> and they go, uh, what do you mean? He stomped on my foot. <laughs> My brother was in college, uh, I was a senior in high school, and I have two adopted sisters that were five and eight. And she had to become both mom and dad to those little girls. And it was tough. It was very tough, especially since she was not the nurturer in the family. My dad was the nurturer. So how she was raised impacted my life. She was very, very into studying God's Word. You could not play Bible trivia and win. Hands down, the woman would win every time. I could call her up and I could say, Mom, I'm, I'm doing a study on such and such a king, and uh, where is that found? And she'd know it right like that. She was very, she took care of the books in our family. My dad couldn't add anything. My mom did. She knew where every penny went. But don't get in a relationship with her. There was always this hands-off 
you know, you can get this close. So I'm thinking about this and praying about this today. It reminded me of two different people in the Bible, sisters, who were totally opposite. You had Mary, who was a free spirit. Mary was a people person. Mary was one that did not keep the rules. And then you had Martha. And Martha was a rule follower. Don't you know they drove each other nuts? <laughs> you know, Mary was considered the black sheep of the family. She, in the first account of, of her, it says she was a sinful woman. Now, I'm not sure exactly does that mean, was she a prostitute? Did she have multiple husbands? Did she forget to wash her hands before she, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that meant, but she was an outcast. And I believe she had just this freedom and this free spirit. The first account, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home to eat supper. And it says, while he is reclining at the table, this woman comes in and starts weeping at his feet. She was so touched by him. I'm sure she had seen and heard him before, but she came into the home probably uninvited. Again, rule breaker. She came in and she was at his feet. And I have this, I'm adding to the Bible, by the way. This, this is my interpretation. But I had this picture. Jesus is sitting there. This woman comes in kneels down at his feet and starts crying and crying and crying and I can just see the tears and the snot coming out <laughs> dripping on his feet and she's probably going oh my where's the Kleenex where's the, there's no Kleenex I'm going to undo my hair I'll wipe his feet with that and, and, and oh I've got some perfume in my pocket let me you know the Pharisee there said to Jesus or say to others he goes what kind of prophet is Jesus? Doesn't he know what kind of woman this is? And Jesus had an interesting response. He, he did a parable. He said to, to the Pharisee, he said, there was a man and two people owed him a lot of money. One owed him 50 denarii and the other owed him 500. And neither one of them could pay it. So the man forgave them their debt. Which one do you think loved him the most? And the Pharisee said, the one who was forgiven the most. And Jesus turned to her and he said, she is forgiven, I forgive you. So that's Mary. I think at that point, she probably, in my imagination, there probably was um, a rift between her and her family, but she was transformed. Mm -hmm. And she went back home. Now we have Martha, and I identify with Martha. Yes. Do we have any other Marthas here? Yes. You know, Ask we have been given a bad rap. Ask how many Marys are Okay, Yvette, who is the poster child of Mary, wants to know how many Marys we have. We have a literal Mary here. <laughs> So Martha, 
person. Martha loves to do. Martha gets excited when there's something to make. And she was, I think, a phenomenal cook because of the next story I'm going to tell. It says Jesus was coming in to the town, and Martha hears about it. She goes out there to invite him to her house. Now, again, this is Laura's interpretation, but I'm thinking she sees the transformation in her sister Mary. That's probably all Mary has been talking about for weeks. And she thinks, oh, Jesus is here, and I want him to come into our home. I want him to realize that there's another sister who is not crazy like Mary. <laughs> so Jesus accepts the invitation, and I can see it right now. She goes, okay, you get the spit going, and we'll get the roasted lamb. I want to have chow bread. We're going to have dill. Um, cucumber salad, uh, let's get the best wine out, let's, okay, tablecloths, linens, plates, chargers, <laughs> she has it organized, she is prepared, she is ready, she takes pride in her culinary skills, and so here's Jesus sitting down in front, and Martha's running around organizing everything, trying to get everything perfect, and there's her lazy sister sitting in front of Jesus making googly eyes at him. And I think Martha probably was a little ticked. Just a little. Just a little. So here, in my mind, here's how it goes. Martha is running around trying to clean everything, get everything ready, cooked, and all that. Jesus is here. Mary is there, and Martha's probably behind going, <laughs> And Mary is either ignoring or oblivious to her. Because again, remember, they're sisters. They're, they have this thing that they've been dealing with all their lives. And so Martha's probably going, really hard right here and um, I need Mary's help do you care if we're going to eat or not because I need her help and I'm kind of backfired yeah see she actually kind of insulted Jesus here is the son of God who could turn the water into wine feed 5,000 feed 7,000 who could catch fish and cook it and yet, she's concerned about a meal where he could have provided it all. And he turns to her, and I think he did it with love and compassion. But he goes, Martha, Martha, Martha. You are so distracted and worried about so many things. Only one thing's needed. All we need is the chala bread. I don't know. That, that, again, I'm taking liberties here. Um, and he said, Mary's chosen 
the better thing. If you weren't in there cooking and killing yourself, you could sit out here too. <laughs> now, I want, here's a little interesting tidbit. In the culture of that day, in, the, in that culture, women did not sit with men. Women were expected to serve. And Mary blew that out of the water. She was a student of Jesus. I think probably Martha learned a lot. I think maybe she decided my project isn't as important as the person Jesus. But Martha was still Martha. Mary was still Mary. Do you know what? If someone tries to make me into Mary, it's not going to work. Someone tries to make you Mary's into Martha. It's not going to work. You are who you are. You are who God created. But what God does want to do is he wants to bring balance to your life. He wants you to know him and then do what he tells you to do and not go beyond that. That's a hard lesson for me to learn because I love projects. I love doing, I love doing over-the-top stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I do believe, though, that Martha got her just recognition. Because a few <coughs> weeks, months later, her brother Lazarus died. And it says that Jesus came on the fourth day, and Martha was the first one to get up and go greet Jesus. And here's what I love. You know, I don't want to be childish and go, nah, 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 nah. but I'm going to. Okay. <laughs> uh, in John 11, where this is at, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. <laughs> I bet you want to repeat that. I do. Okay, I'm gonna, yes. Now Jesus loved Martha. <laughs> you know, I, I, when I read that, and I know it's childish, but I, I work with children, so. <laughs> I took great comfort in that because all my life I always heard how great Martha, Mary was. That everyone should be a Mary. Everyone should wipe Jesus' feet and pour oil on them and dance before him and all this. I always heard that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That. <laughs> but later on, the week before Jesus died, he came back to Bethany. And Mary was still Mary, and Martha was still Martha. Mary anointed Jesus from an alabaster box of burial perfume. She did a prophetic act. And it says, and Martha served. Not to diminish. So I'm going to go back to my mom. 
because my mom to me was the epitome of Martha. Um, she loved God's word above all else. And she, she was such an incredible Bible studier. When she was in her 80s, she took college courses online for Bible study. And she could have taught those college courses. When she lived in, in her, uh, at the courtyards, she had Bible study there for the residents. She loved God's word. And when she, she developed pancreatic cancer and some of her memory was kind of being jacked up and I was in there one day and she said, Laura, I have, I have one big fear. I guess, what's that, Mom? She said, well, I'm kind of forgetting things and I may forget you and your brother and your sisters. I'm like, oh. She said, but I pray I'll never forget the word of God. I didn't know whether to be happy. <laughs> so she passed away almost two years ago. And I brought something of hers that I think really drives home the point. Uh, when she was in eighth grade, the, the school that she lived in in western Kansas went up through eighth grade. And they had a graduation. Now, my mom was the youngest of five. They were very, very poor. She had three dresses. She had her school dress. She had her work dress. And she had a nicer dress. But that was it. And my grandmother decided to graduate from eighth grade. She would crochet her a dress and a hat. So my mom was so excited to graduate from eighth grade and to get this new outfit. After the graduation ceremonies, they had kind of like a field day, and my mom was a scrappy person, and she was fast, she was athletic, and so she entered in the race, and everyone knew Doris Ludlow was going to win the race because she was the fastest in the school. And she wore her dress and her red hat to my grandma. And my grandma told her, she said, take the hat off. She goes, no, I want to wear it. I'm so proud of what you did. So my mom took off when they, hit, when they pulled the trigger, and she took off running, and shortly the hat flew off. And she turned around and went back for the hat and lost the race. And what that really spoke to me was we get distracted by so many things that if we allow it we will lose the race you know I'm proud to say that my mom fought the good fight she kept the course she kept the faith and today she is rejoicing with the Lord Today she has a crown of righteousness. Amen. <clears throat> so for all you Marys and all you Marthas out there, don't let life distract you. Don't let projects distract you. Don't 
let pain distract you. Don't give up. Keep the course. I think there's some people here that need to hear this. You may feel like giving up, but don't do it. Keep on course. Keep the faith. Can we pray? Yes. Lord, I thank you that you love us with such a love. That you love all the Marys and all the Marthas and all the ones in between. And you do not want us to give up. I thank you that if we keep on, that we will receive that crown of righteousness. And I pray for anyone here who feels like the battle is too great, that they can't continue on. Or anyone here whose love has grown cold, I pray that you will ignite that love for you. I pray that encouragement will be pulled out and poured out on everyone in this room. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.